the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday that seems like Monday show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is a new week on The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything and everything that's on your heart. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 340, actually 2103. I keep forgetting that. 210-340-9585 for your live calls and questions. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hope you had a great holiday uh, yesterday and a great weekend in church. It was Communion Sunday for us, and that's always my favorite, the chance to to be with my family uh, around the Lord's table. So a really, really good day for us. And again, I hope and pray that it was for you as well. Um, lots going on this week. Um, I'd appreciate your prayers. Tonight is our uh, city council meeting uh, to uh, vote for a zoning change that would allow us to move into a new building that we are trying to make a deal on. So this is like the final hurdle to get over it. We don't expect any problem at all. The city has actually been really, really great to work with this time through anyway. And uh, so uh, that's tonight at 630. And if the Lord brings us to heart and mind, just around that time, I think we're the first thing on the agenda. So around that time, um, just uh, ask the Lord's blessing on our time together at the meeting. Um, and then and then if this goes as we expect it to, um, just keep us in prayer. Uh, moving to a new building is a huge deal. I'm getting pretty old, so uh, we would appreciate your prayers, prayers for provision for the architects, the contractors. There's probably going to be six or seven or eight or nine or ten months worth of construction that needs to be done. And, of course, all that costs a lot of money, so we would appreciate your prayers on our behalf. That's tonight. Uh, this week is our men's retreat. Uh, we we actually begin on Thursday evening, and uh, I'd appreciate your prayers for that as well. We expect, as always, the Lord is really going to move on the hearts of our men. We have a bunch of men who are going, so uh, we're really looking forward to that time. Uh, our guest speaker is Kevin Green. Um, he happens to be the man who uh, wrote and performs our opening song on all of our radio programs, this one and the other one. So I get some questions. Did you sing that? No, I didn't sing it. But but Pastor Kevin Green did. And uh, he's going to be here. He's a good friend. So it's going to be a fun time uh, for me. Uh, Paula and I will be here on Thursday 
uh, for the date day program, and then I'm going to leave right after that and go out to the uh, to the retreat center. And then Pastor Kevin will be on the program with us live on Friday from the retreat site as well. So we will have our normal show on Friday, uh, and you'll be able to hear us. And if you have any calls or questions, of course, uh, we will be able to take those calls and questions. Okay. Let's get to some questions that have been sent in. Um, and uh, we would love your phone calls and uh, your participation. The first one is anonymous. Um, do you have any scriptural evidence for the pre-trib rapture theory? Um, there's there's a lot going on, I, I guess, with this, because I keep getting this question now weekly uh, several times. Uh, and so, yeah, th- there's no scriptural evidence for any other theory, period. The pre-trib rapture is connected to the character, the nature, and the mission of God. I think that's really, really important, Anonymous. So let me just take First Thessalonians. Um, Paul says, brothers, this is First Thessalonians 4. 13, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, and that's a euphemism for dying, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep, those who have died with him, according to the Lord's own word. We tell you, and this is a mystery, by the way, that Paul was uh, was given, um, and and so the, the the Lord's own word. This was what would happen in those conversations with the Lord. Uh, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive. Now that's really important because Paul clearly believed that he was going to be alive when Jesus returned for his church. The whole idea of the rapture, Paul really expected that that would happen while he was alive. People say, well, the pre-trib theory didn't really get popular until the eighteen late 1800s. A guy named Darby, and so the whole church never believed it. The Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, he was pre-trib in his eschatology. That's very important for us to understand. We who are still alive who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Here's the key. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord's or with the Lord forever. So the idea is this isn't Jesus' second coming. Verse 17 in First Thessalonians chapter 4 indicates that this is not Revelation chapter 19 when Jesus comes to earth. This is when Jesus is coming for his church in the air. First Corinthians chapter 15 uh, beginning in verse 51. I tell you a mystery revealed again to the Apostle Paul that um, we will not all die, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye. We will be caught up together. At the last trumpet, we will be caught up together with the Lord. And literally, that word is, is the Greek word harpazo. And it means to be snatched away. And we will be taken away. And the Lord, or we will meet the Lord in the air. So, uh, Anonymous, it's not two comings. Jesus came once as a baby. He's going to come the next time to earth as a conquering king. But before that, roughly seven years before that, He's going to come with the trumpet call of God. Now, it's not a literal trumpet. It's just very symbolic language. And, and, and we will be called to be with him. But not. he's not coming here to get us. He's bringing us up to be with him. And we'll be with him in the air. So, First Thessalonians 4, um, beginning in verse 11, all the way through verse 17. Um, uh, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one, 51. Uh, and then we can go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, Jesus is writing to the church at Philadelphia, the true church. Now, remember, even the seven letters to the seven churches, even though they were real churches in time and space, um, the whole book of Revelation is a prophecy. And so there's prophetic value in this. And to the true church believers, the church at Philadelphia, he promises to keep us away from the scene where the judgment will occur. And that's a promise that can't be broken. 
So, Anonymous, there's a lot of reasons to believe Genesis chapters 18 and 19 when Jesus is um, coming to um, inspect uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, He's stops off to talk to Abraham first. Why? Because Abraham's a friend. A friend tells a friend everything, Jesus said. And here's what he said. He said, I'm going to do this destruction. And and uh, that's when Abraham started negotiating with him. Will the righteous judge of all the earth judge the righteous with the wicked? And of course, the answer was no, he couldn't. That's why he kept negotiating down 50, 40, 30, all the way down, if I can find 10. Now, we know only eight escaped. So uh, it simply wasn't true. When I say only eight escaped, um, um, actually only the daughters escaped uh, with, with uh, I'm sorry, with, Ab- or with Lot. So um, again, will the righteous judge of all the earth judge the righteous with the wicked? The idea is, can God do that? And the answer was no. God would violate his character if he judged the righteous with the wicked. Now, those who believe in a post-tribulation or even a mid-tribulation judgment, um, or rapture, rather, of the church, uh, the reality is that, that we know that the, the, the great tribulation is God's judgment on a Christ-rejecting world. So we cannot be here anonymous. It is impossible. And there's not a single scripture that would indicate even the possibility of mid-trib or pre-wrath or a post-tribulation rapture of the church. Not a single one. Finally, I'll say this. Uh, You can go to our website. I always recommend this. You can go to our website and find uh, our studies on Revelation. Uh, I've taught it several times here at Calvary Chapel. Um, go to chapter 4 and always, always, always the first study I do in Revelation chapter 4 is on the rapture of the church. And I go to great length to go into the, the, the Old Testament, see all the pictures of the of the rapture of the church, us being spared out of judgment uh, and through the Old Testament um, demonstration that the rapture of the church has to be before the judgment of God. Thank you, Anonymous. I appreciate the question very, very much. Here is a question from Sarah. She says, what would you say to someone who doesn't believe in hell? Sarah, I would tell that person that the fact that they don't believe it doesn't mean it isn't true. And I would then ask, what evidence do you have? And there is no evidence at all. Now, there are universalists. Uh, especially since the Internet and YouTube. Um, there's a proliferation of people trying to convince themselves and everybody else that um, they're, they're loving God can't send people to hell for eternity, that somehow everybody's going to find their way uh, to, to heaven. Um, and, and they think that's good news. But the, the problem is it's not good news because it means God is not just. Punishment has to be meted out to those who are um, lawbreakers. It has to be. Otherwise, there was no point in the law. Um, there's no reason for Jesus to die. Uh, if there's any way this cup can pass for me, the answer from heaven was no. If everybody was going to end up in heaven, or if there wasn't a hell, and hell is only separation from God, the great white throne judgment, the literal hell has not been created yet. It will be created at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. But I would tell them they better be sure because it's a long time. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then face the judgment. That's really important, judgment for sin. And um, there's only two possible destinations for eternity. With God, we call that heaven. Separated from God, we call that hell. And we know Luke 16 says there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus mentioned that repeatedly in the gospel accounts. Um, the, the, the rich man in Luke chapter uh, 16 was in torment. So um, I just tell them they're wrong. 
and um, the fact that emotionally they can't get past the fact that God is going to judge people, it just indicates, Sarah, that they don't really know God at all. They haven't really studied his character and his nature and his justice. That's really, really important. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. On this Tuesday, here is a question from Harrison. Uh, Eternal security with a question mark. Well, let me go to a phone call first so we don't have to wait. And Harrison, I'll get yours in just a moment. Let's go to Jerry on line one from San Antonio. Jerry, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Always a pleasure to hear you. Um, Thank you, Jerry. I'm going through because I came, I started Calvary in May of whatever, a little over two years ago. Anyway, you were doing Revelation on Friday nights, so I came in kind of on the back end of it. So I'm doing it on my own, and I finally made it to Chapter 22 today. (laughs) And then you were just talking about Revelation a few minutes ago, and I said, well, I'm going to call because i got a question. So the first uh, two verses of 22, it talks about um, the river of the water of life. So... My first question is, or I believe you said you didn't believe it. I may be wrong. Please correct me. But I, I think I recall you saying you didn't think it was a literal literal river. But I'm reading. I always go through and read. The, I mentioned this before to you, the Dr. Tony Evans Bible commentary. After I hear your study, I always go through and kind of highlight things for myself. And he wrote that since there is no sea on the new earth, water will be supplied by the river of the water of life. So it makes it sound like we'll get water from uh, that river of life right there, from the water of life flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb of God. So that's the first thing. Then on it talks about the leaves of the tree for healing of the nations, and why would healing be necessary in the new heaven and the new earth? And then you just mentioned it briefly on a call a few minutes ago. You were talking about Paul is uh, pre-trib and that the people that would still be alive. And then Dr. Tony Evans is saying, and I think you said it, it wasn't literal healing, but you also said on that service, and that's kind of a non-rambling here, you said there would be healing available at your service that night, but that's a side note. Anyway, he put... Why would healing be necessary in the new heaven and new earth? And it's because there is a group of people who have access to the heavenly Jerusalem, but who do not live there. Uh, there is only one group of people left on earth to go into eternity in their physical bodies, those who were true to Jesus Christ and served him during his millennial reign. They go into eternity after the millennium with physically glorified bodies, not spiritually glorified uh, bodies. So these will make up the nations who do not live in the New Jerusalem, but who will have access to the city. So they are the ones that will need the leaves of the tree for their continued health and well-being. So I kind of rambled. I apologize. That's okay. Not as gifted as you. <clears throat> so I know you're, you got the gist of it. I'm going to hang up and just hear what you have to say. I enjoy the study i got one more to go, and I'll have made it through Revelation. So thank you, and I'll see you at the retreat. Love you Okay, very Jerry, much. Thank, thank you very, very much. And by the way, my notes, my own commentary is also available on our website, calvarysa.com. So uh, if you want to, to kind of work through my reasoning, um, uh, my notes are there. They're actually the notes that I preach from, and now I don't read them verse word by word, but uh, my notes are all there, and I'm a very... Um, extensive commentary on um, the book of Revelation. Um, a couple of things. One, I'm, I'm a Tony Evans fan. You know that. Um, um, I, I believe with all of my heart that he is wrong, that he's not seeing things. Um, let me just start with the last thing, and then I'm going to go back to the top so I can kind of take this in order, Jerry, uh, so as not to forget. Um, the, the, our bodies are not fit for eternity. Uh, they have to be changed. And so uh, to, to say that people go in with physically glorified bodies, but they're not healed, that's not possible. Uh, Isaiah 53 says, by his wounds, we are healed. And um, the healing of the nations, 
um, uh, is just pretty simple. Um, the nations means people or people groups. Um, this is the, the the fulfillment of Isaiah fifty three five, and uh, we're, we're, our, once we receive our glorified resurrected bodies, and that will happen. Nobody can go to heaven. I mean, we can't even go in an airplane without the 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 plane being pressurized in these bodies. So what what happens, Jerry, is is the plane has to be prepared. Well, Jesus said, I'm going there to prepare a place for you, meaning the body. In my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. This is John 14. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come and take you to be with me where I am. But in order for that to happen, we have to shed. Paul says um, uh, mortality has to become immortal. Um, uh, that which is 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 sinful has to be purified. So the healing of the nations. Now I'll talk a little bit about why I don't think that's a literal tree and literal leaves in a moment. One of the things that we need to remember about the book of Revelation is that the the symbolism that is used is pretty clear. Um, the angel, it says, that showed him the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, we remember Jesus said, I am the um, living water. So, so Jesus is the living water. Um, there's no need for water once we get there. That's beginning uh, at the, where, you, where you started on, the, uh, on your question at the beginning. Um, um, the river stood on each side, the, the, stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Um, one of the things I love about this picture, Jerry, is that um, we can plant a tree and it will produce a crop in season. But the tree here also has a season. That season is always, um, um, you know, this is the tree that had Adam and Eve eaten from this tree. Physical death would have been impossible. That's why it was guarded by a cherubim wielding a flaming sword. So um, Jesus, the real tree of life, uh, he was the sheaf in which that sword was forever placed. That's very important. Now, uh, that one tree could be found on both sides of the river. Speaks symbolically of God's omnipresence. Um, I believe it is a literal tree, of course, but it's also a symbolic tree, as I said, that symbolizes Jesus. That's very, very important. I also think, Jerry, that this is intentionally reminiscent of the Garden of Eden. Um, It's a wonderful garden. Um, There were four rivers in Eden. We know that from Genesis chapter 2. There's one river mentioned here, and that's the river of the water of life. Remember Jesus. Now, not to do this to try to impress anybody, but just because I think the language matters. It would have been better translated to use uh, in the first verse, a river of the water of life rather than the liver. There's no definite article there in the Greek. And I think Tony, uh, Dr. Evans is missing that. Remember, I'm, an, I'm a Dr. Tony Evans fan. So um, the, the picture is way more important than whether or not it's a literal river. We're not going to need anything in heaven to exist or new bodies, but it's going to be there for us to joy. It seems to me more likely that the way... Pure life flowing from God's throne is seen by John. And remember, he's trying to explain something that he's seeing that he can't understand. Uh, this is a, a, a abundant life flowing like a river that glows. And that's always been uh, the source of that abundant life has always been the throne of God. So I hope that uh, makes sense to you. Now let me deal a little bit with the other tree or the other figure you asked about. The leaves of the tree are there for the healing of the nations. Um, this, I believe, is another tree of life being referenced here. And the healing spoken of here is the redemption of mankind. Um, that means this is literal but symbolic as well. And, and much of prophecy is like that. That would make this tree of life look different than the original. When the original tree of life was uh, beautiful and fruitful, this second tree of life was bare and sparse and blood-stained. I think that's a reference to the cross. So, uh, Tony Evans, God bless him. I admire the work that he's doing. Uh, I, I just think in some cases uh, he gets a little bit off. But 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 again, these are, are symbols that are being explained to us. 
And uh, certainly, uh, Tony's not teaching falsely. There's no heresy here. It's just a different interpretation. And Jerry, I'm going to hold on to mine. The the tree, I think, is so important because Galatians 3.13 says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung in a tree. Jesus did that for you, Jerry, and for me. And because there's no one good, not even one, God had to become a man. He had to be cursed, hung on that tree, and die so that we might live. I'll close this uh, half with this. You know, Jesus wasn't born to be a great man. He wasn't born to be happy, to be married, to live a successful, fulfilling life. He was born to die. That's all. He was born to die. And... uh, That's why he went to that tree. And then, of course, we know there will no longer be any curse at all. Thank you, Jerry. Appreciate the call. We'd love more calls and questions. You guys are way more interesting than I am. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. I will be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program, 210-340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here is the question from Harrison that I started on before I went to Jerry's call. Uh, He says, eternal security, question mark. Do we have it or can we lose it? Um, Harrison, I don't mean to be flip with this answer. But whenever, and I do this for an important reason, whenever anybody asks me if you can lose your salvation, I always tell them, I don't want to. Why would I want to lose my salvation? Now, I know what they're asking, um, but but the question is really as simple as this. Why would we want to lose our salvation? Now, I, there's all kinds of different views on this, but I'm just going to take the Lord's word for this. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, say that we have been sealed with a deposit, the promised Holy Spirit, guaranteeing our inheritance. Now, Harrison, if I was the one who guaranteed your eternal security, then it wouldn't be a very good guarantee at all. But this is the key. Paul is saying it is God himself who gave us this deposit. It's God himself who guaranteed that we will inherit the rewards of our salvation. Now, if God guaranteed it and he can't hold it, He's the one who's responsible to make sure we get to the end. Well, the reality is that there's no way you can exegete that passage in First Ephesians chapter 1 without concluding that God's guarantee is ironclad, so we're going to be saved. Now, here's the problem that we have. We see a lot of people who claim to be saved, and then their lives go off the rails. Now, you and I, Harrison, we don't know which of those sinners, those backsliders, are really men or women who belong to God, who God will correct and discipline and bring back to himself. And we don't know which of those sinners, those we call them backsliders, which of those men and women were not really saved in the first place. So here's the thing. We don't have to know. The whole book of 1 John, Harrison, is directed to you personally. Because John says, I write these things that you may know, very strong, present, active tense, that you may know you have salvation. He wants us to know that. And Harrison, I believe with all of my heart that when we question our salvation, it breaks God's heart. 
It's almost like he's saying, what else do I have to do? I died for your sins. I I paid the price. I took the punishment that you deserved. And I did all that so you and I could be together forever. And I think because we look at circumstances, um, we start questioning our salvation. I think Jesus would be in heaven saying, what more do I have to do? It's the devil who brings the doubt. Our problem, as I said a moment ago, it's just there's a whole part of, a lot of people that claim to be Christians who really aren't believers. I think it's really that simple. And we want to know. And I said earlier, we don't have to know. Galatians chapter 6 says, God knows. Uh, God, God cannot be mocked. He won't be deceived. And Paul writing to Timothy says, God knows those who are his. And Harrison, as long as God knows, we don't have to know. The key is... Do you know? Are you sure? I can tell you uh, experientially, the the Bible is very clear that you can't lose what God gave you for free. But ever since, and this happened very early in my Christian walk, ever since that I determined that the Bible was truly God's word, it wasn't a book written by man, it wasn't a book of suggestions, it really was the literal word of God. In all of my years of being saved, now 32 plus, I've never had a single moment's doubt, not a single moment's doubt, that I'm going to heaven. Now, the enemy still lies to me, especially as a pastor. When I'm teaching passages like this or teaching Revelation uh, as an example, uh, the, the enemy will lie to me right in the middle of teaching, say, well, what if this isn't true? And I just got to say, shut up. I know it's true. Lord, you deal with that. I need to hear from the Holy Spirit now. So the thing is, when you doubt your salvation, when God is the one who's saved you and guaranteed it, who are we to question God? Who are we to question God? He wants you to be content, secure, and gloriously free, knowing that you belong to him. And if you don't know that for sure, Harrison, then ask God to examine your heart, repent of your sins, and then believe what the Bible says. Thank you for the question, Harrison. appreciate it. Let's go to Matthew from Cibolo on line one. Matthew, how are you doing? Welcome to the program. Hey, Papa Ron. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. All right. Just got, I just got, uh, got off of work and... Uh, I had some side notes from uh, our Bible study on Sunday, so I thought I'd ask you. Okay. Um, something that kind of stuck out to me, uh, as you mentioned about um, God has you at the right place at the right time and for the right purpose, you know. And um, and I was kind of, when I was when I was pondering on that uh, while you were talking about that, because um, me personally, I always kind of want to have more or do more or, you know, seek more kind of those things. Like, Lord... What is it that I can do more of those things? Um, I guess, um, can you expound on that a little bit more on kind of that comment? I put it on a side note there in my Bible, and then um, is that kind of what involved in ministry, or what element are you, or was more specifically towards? Uh, sometimes I wonder, you know, are we supposed to get more involved, or why do people not get involved, those kind of things, or maybe I need to kind of be in a place where, I need to just, you know, I don't know, stay still or something. But yeah, if you could expound on I really truly appreciate that. My pleasure, Matt. And let me recommend to you the Bible study that I'm going to do tomorrow night at Leviticus chapter 8 as well. So uh, you can watch it if you can't get here. But we're going to deal with um, some of these uh, issues. Uh, The passage that Matt is talking about is Acts chapter 17, verse 26 where God set us in the exact place at the exact time in the exact place that we live. Uh, And he did it so that we would find God. Now, um, Matthew, you mentioned, um, um, you know, you don't know if you're a season where we should be still or a season where we should do more. Uh, The reality is we're never in a season to sit still. We're in the last days. There's never a season to sit still. We need to be serving that doesn't mean that you don't have time for family. It doesn't mean that you don't have time for some fun things or for or some relaxing things. The one thing I try to do every single Saturday is nothing. 
I mean, we come to prayer at 9.30, and then some Saturday, every other Saturday, we have our pastor's discipleship class. But but I'm tr- I'm trying to be home, relaxing, saving my energy and my brain power. The older I get, that's harder to do um, uh, for Sunday. So, I mean, I get, we, we rest. Uh, our bodies recuperate and recover. But beyond that, we recover, we rest in order to serve. Paul says, never grow weary in well-doing. Um, um, keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. In, in other words, uh, be zealous. That's, that's, I mean, the time is short. Jesus is coming back, and there's work to do. I think that matters a great deal in the time that we live in. But the idea is not just ministry. It's in every phase of our life. We need to get up and understand that, that God's sovereignty, God's uh, omniscience, God's omnipresence, God's omnipotence, all of that is working together with us where we are right now. And we needn't worry about anything else. Let me also say this, Matthew, and this is not personally directed to you because I know you, but ambition is a terrible word for a Christian. Ambition, I need to do more. When we think that we need to do anything, we've misunderstood the calling of God in our lives. All we have to do is be available. God provides the ability if we provide the availability. And so all we have to do is understand that God doesn't need me. He delights to use me, and I mentioned this on Sunday, uh, and the fact that God wants to use you, Matthew, that he wants to use me in his plan in these last days is so important for us to remember and never forget. It's, it's, it's just like when you were a kid, and Matthew, you're a large guy, I'm a small guy. Uh, I was never chosen you know, when they choose up teams, I was like one of the last people chosen until people found out I could do some stuff. But but it's one of the last people chosen. Well, not not in heaven. I was one of the first people chosen. You were one of the first people chosen. And God says, get in the game and play. And sadly, too many of the, the people that God has chosen to be in the game and play uh, were on the sidelines saying, go, go, go. And, and and Jesus is the coach. You get in, you get in. So we need to be working. And he's put us here at this time, in this place in history, in this city, San Antonio, Texas, and, and the surrounding cities. Um, the reason that we're here is to fulfill the plan that God has always had for us. There's no other place. You heard, Matthew, one of the things that I talked about was uh, I'm not a super curious guy. When God says to do something, I just do it. But but I know why God put me in the 21st century. I know why God put me in the United States of America, because I'm too big of a wimp to be anywhere else during any other century. If I lived during the Bible days, um, if I suffered the things that Paul did, if 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 I lived even now, in countries where your life would be threatened just for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would probably wimp out. I told the church, I don't even go camping. I need comfort. I need power. I need a house to live in. Well, God put me in this place at this time because I have everything that I need to fulfill the calling that God has given us. And so this isn't about me doing more. Same way, Matthew, it's not about you doing more. What it's all and only about is being available to do what God has called you to do. And and so often when we're looking at more, I, the reason I said ambition is a bad word, um, you know, it, it's almost like, okay, well, I, I can do this or I can do this. Instead of just saying, God, what about me and what about today? And when we really and truly get that, Matthew, then we're always on point. We're always... Uh, at exactly the place God wants us to be when he wants us to be. So that's what Acts 17.26, one of the most remarkable uh, statements in all of Scripture, and I am eternally grateful for that. Good question, Matthew. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question. This one comes from Anonymous. Got two anonymous questions. Uh, will people in hell uh, 
Remember the chance they had to believe, but did not believe. Um, almost certainly they will. Of course they will. You know, in Luke 16, and I keep referring to this because that's how important this story is. It's not a parable. It's a story. Jesus never used names in a parable. And and the hermeneutic is important. But um, he remembered while he was in torment, and to the degree that he wanted um, um, Father Abrahamson Lazarus back to tell his family members, his brothers, that that this this is true, it's real. And of course, Abraham said that wasn't possible. So uh, yeah, when we stand before the Lord, Lord, every knee will bow, every tongue confess. That's Philippians chapter two that Jesus Christ is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. What that means is that for some of us anonymous, that profession of faith will be the most triumphant time ever. But for others, it will be the most terrifying term, uh, a, a moment ever. Because they're going to acknowledge, I killed you. My sin killed you. And I knew it was true. And I rejected you. But they're still going to acknowledge that he was right, he was truthful, he was the way, the truth, and the life. And um, they, nobody will be um, in, in heaven saying, hey, why am I here? There's a mistake been made. Um, everybody will know exactly why they're being judged. And we know that because Jesus himself is the judge. All judgment has been given to me by my Father. And I love in the Gospel of John where he says, this is the verdict, that's his best judge voice. Light has come into the world, but men hated the light because their deeds were evil. And Anonymous, the reason that people are going to end up in hell is because their deeds are evil and they didn't want to stop doing them. Good question. Thank you very, very much. The other anonymous question is, was the flood in Genesis local or worldwide, and does it matter? Yeah, anonymous, I think it matters a great deal. It was a worldwide flood. It changed the topography of the whole world. It took the world from the the the, the garden, the Eden that, that God created, into a world ravaged by sin, um, uh, the curse um, causing the, the the creation, Paul says, to groan in travail. So uh, it was a worldwide flood, and it matters because the people that try to localize the flood are the ones who are trying to compromise with so-called science um, in, in terms of the age of the earth. It is a, a worldwide flood. When the Bible says the world, it means the world. And and so the the flood in Genesis was a worldwide flood, something that we can't even begin to understand the scope of. Uh, I think one of the benefits, I got several questions last week about the Ark Encounter in Kentucky, Ken Ham's um, uh, tourist site. Um, I think one of the benefits of going out there and seeing that and, and hearing the story is that you get a grasp on just how horrible and total, the flood of Genesis really was. Uh, and it was instant. You know, I think, um, um, you know, Noah was sent into the ark um, seven days in advance of the flood. Uh, God himself sealed him in. And I think when it started raining um, at the beginning, I don't think it was just one big whoosh. But I think a little rain would fall, and I always imagine that there are people banging on the on the ark. They remember they'd never seen rain to this point, and maybe Noah's 120 years of preaching is finally. Maybe Noah was right. Noah let us in, and Noah would be uh, helpless. I can't let you in. God sealed us in here, and then it was too late. And then the springs below. And then the canopy above let loose, and then the the topography of the of the world was changed in an instant. Uh, so far as, and um, this is from from uh, Henry Morris, um, that it would change the rotation of the Earth. Uh, it would change uh, seasons. There would be instant freezing on the poles, and of course we know that's the case, and. Um, all animal life, 
you know, people want to know where the dinosaurs are. They were destroyed in the flood. It's that simple. So, hope that helps. Thank you very, very much. We still have a little bit of time if you have any calls you want to, or questions you want to call in. Here's a question from Maria. She says, my question is about Mark 11. Why did Jesus curse the fig tree? Um, Maria, this is one of my favorite stories. I tell it every Palm Sunday. Every Palm Sunday. So um, let me sort of give you the biblical perspective. The day before Jesus cursed the fig tree, uh, Jesus came into Jerusalem um, on exactly the right day, the, the day that Jews knew the Messiah was going to appear, April 6, 32 AD. That is, the, the, uh, according to the widely accepted scholarship of Sir Robert Anderson, uh, his book is The Coming Prince. It is a treasure. Um, uh, April 6, 32 AD, the crowds were there. Jesus was fulfilling prophecy um, so exactly that there could be no doubt. He was riding on a donkey exactly as was prophesied. Um, everybody was waiting for that day. And uh, the streets were filled with people shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, but but they didn't really mean it. Jesus knew that. It would be only a matter of days. They'd, they'd be yelling, crucify him, give us Barabbas. And Jesus knew that, and his heart would be broken. Um, that evening, before going back to Bethany, he went into the temple and inspected it. Now, we know the next day what he's going to do, but he inspected it. He said, you know, this is supposed to be a house of God. You made it a den of thieves. And and so not only were the people wrong in the appearance of, of Palm Sunday um, misleading, but the house of God wasn't what it was supposed to be. Jesus would look at the religious leaders. They looked like religious leaders, but God knew their heart. Those same religious leaders were trying to murder Jesus. And Jesus was just done. He looked out over Jerusalem and cried out, if you, if you only knew that I come to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks. But you didn't know the time of God's visitation. And because of that, he pronounced judgment on the city of Jerusalem. We know that happened completely fulfilled in 70 AD. So Jesus was broken, broken hearted. He's going to go out in a couple of nights actually the next night and be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane betrayed by a friend supposedly goes to Bethany tries to get some rest sure it was not a very restful night at all gets up the next morning and he sees a fig tree and leaf now it wasn't the season for figs we know that from the gospel accounts but typically and Paul and I we had a fig tree in our old house Typically, when you see leaves, there are figs. And Jesus was hungry. He's going to die for us, and he's hungry. All he wants is a fig for breakfast. And he reaches into the tree, and he finds nothing. And I always like to say on Palm Sunday that that tree was guilty of false advertising, just like the people in the streets of Jerusalem, just like the religious leaders, just like the temple of God, guilty of false advertising. They were not what they said they were. And I think Jesus, tired, physically, emotionally, heartbroken, I think that was just too much for him. And I think this was a, a sermon illustration that he was giving to his disciples. Remember, biblically, the, the fig tree is a, a picture of Israel. And he cursed it. May nobody ever eat fruit from you again. And it withered so quickly the disciples were amazed. So Jesus didn't hate the tree or anything. He was giving them an illustration of what they had just seen the previous day. Why Jesus wasn't excited as they were about the events of the previous day. So, Maria, that's why he would have done it. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it. Um... Harriet says, since God's mercy is forever, why 
Can't people get a second chance after dying? You know, um, Harriet, these are not um, um, wise questions for us to ask. I'm not criticizing you for asking the question. Um, but but you never question the, the fairness or the justice of God. Hebrews 9.27 makes it very, very clear. It is appointed in a man once to die and then face the judgment. So we don't get a second chance because we all get plenty of chances in the life that we're living here. We have to make the choice of where we're going to spend eternity. We have to make that choice while we're alive here and now on planet Earth. No matter where you're from, no matter your background, you have to make that choice. And God will never override a choice that we've made by our own free will. So yes, God's mercy is forever. You and I, Harriet, are proof of that. But um, his mercy was demonstrated at the cross when Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And here it is, as merciful as God can be. He created us. We rebelled against him. He bought us back. And all we have to do is be bought. So, good question, Harriet. Thank you very, very much. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. I appreciate the phone calls and the questions. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow on AM 630 The Word. See you then. for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.